You are listening to the MZBC Students Greenhouse Podcast. For more information about Mount Zion Baptist Church, go to mzbc.net slash students or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at mzbcstudents. Sounded like it was about to be really loud. Yeah, this mic is not working and it's falling apart, so we're going to change, uh, change it up a little bit. Let's see uh, how well I can preach and hold a mic here because I'm used to using both hands kind of like this number. And so uh, if I start doing this, just yell at me. But like, put the mic in your mouth. We can't hear you, right? Uh, or if you just don't want to hear me, just let me keep doing it. Uh, and that works too. Joke? Yeah. Hey, I get laughs any way I can, even if I have to beg for them, all right? That's just, that's how it works. You can ask the junior hires in the room. I'll sit there for like a minute going, you going to laugh or what, right? Um, Anyway, for those who don't know, I'm JJ. I'm the junior high student minister around here. Occasionally, they let me uh, out of my cage and, and speak to all of you guys, and it's awesome. Uh, but normally, I'm hanging out with the cool kids uh, on the other side of campus, uh, junior high, who are in here as well. Junior high, what up? Yeah, 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 yeah. Sweet. Anyway. Well, uh, every year uh, at Christmas, we hear this same story over and over and over again about Jesus coming and rescuing us and, and all these things, right? And uh, we, we kind of get lost in that. Sorry, I'm in like three shirts, so it's really hot. Um, we kind of get lost in this and we're like, okay, I've heard this before. It's kind of uh, the same deal. You hear something over and over and over again. You kind of just graze by it and you sort of forget the significance of it uh, sometimes. Uh, and so every year we're trying to, to see this story in a different way and, uh, and all that sort of deal. Uh, so... I hope that tonight we can do that as well. I want to look in Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible, if you don't and you feel brave enough to like stand up and go to one of the windows, uh, there are some Bibles in the windows uh, for use. Yeah, there's one. Nice. Cool. Otherwise, pull out a Bible or your phone uh, that's actually got a Bible app on it. Uh, that would be great. Matthew chapter 2 and Remy verses uh, 13 through 23. Now, you can kind of just uh, go ahead and go there and hold your place. I'm going to give you an overview of all these verses. We're not going to read all of them, uh, but I'm going to give you an overview of all these verses. But then we're going we're gonna to go in and we're going to dig into some three specific section, sections of this overall uh, passage. So this is actually after uh, Jesus has been born. Uh, he's uh, about two years old. The wise men just visited. They, they found him and they worshipped. Uh, and then they started to head back. Or originally, their plan was to go and head back and see Herod because King Herod, they had come through trying to find the Messiah. They had found King Herod and asked him if he knew where he was and that sort of deal. Uh, and Herod wanted him to go and find the king and tell him where Jesus was because you know, it was prophesied that Jesus was a king. And King Herod thinking earthly, he thought, oh, this king is going to come and try and take my throne so that my family is no longer reigning over Israel. And so he's thinking, man, y'all going to send these wise men to go and try and find this king. And then they're going to come back and tell me who it is. And I'm going to go and I'm going to kill him. And then I don't have to worry about that guy. So the, the wise men go and find him. Uh, and they, they kind of get wise to Herod's uh, plan because they're wise guys. Huh? Yeah? Yeah? Appreciate it. Yeah, you're picking up. You're picking up. Uh, anyway, so they... Uh, they, they figure out this plan, and they decide, well, we're not going to go back to Herod. We're just going to head on home. And so they, they kind of skirt out of town without seeing Herod. And then uh, the, an angel appears before Joseph for, like, the second or third time at this point uh, in the last couple of years. So it's probably pretty normal. Like, the first time an angel shows up, everybody, like, freaks out uh, and, and is afraid. But I assume at this point, uh, Joseph's like, hey, man, what's up? And they're like, 
fist bump stuff, you know? That's probably not how it works. But uh, anyway, so this angel shows up, and he, and he says, hey, Herod is about to go crazy. This is JJ's version of the story, right? So Herod's about to go crazy. You guys need to get out of town. And he actually says, you need, you need to go to Egypt. And you need to stay there until I tell you to come back. So Joseph uh, takes Mary and Jesus, and they travel the 75 to 100 miles from Bethlehem uh, on down to, because they've been living in Bethlehem since Jesus' birth for two years or whatever. And so they, move, they leave Bethlehem, and they head on down uh, to, he, uh, to Egypt. And then right after, uh, a little while later, uh, Herod uh, f- sort of figures out that the wise men had uh, left town and tricked him, and he does go crazy like the angel predicted, and he orders the killing. I don't want you to miss this detail, okay? He orders the killing of all the baby boys two years and younger in the Bethlehem area. Now, Bethlehem was not a very big place, okay? I mean, you, you think like Monrovia area, uh, you know, like Huntsville is like the city or whatever, but then like Monrovia, and then you like got even further and you've got like Tony and stuff. That's probably like closest to like what Bethlehem is. It's kind of just like small farmer community, not tons of people, but there's enough people there that this is a lot of babies. And either way, it's a terrible, horrific thing. Herod, knowing that this supposed king is about two years old, he says, well, so that he's eliminated, I'll just kill all the baby boys two years and younger in the Bethlehem area. And so he does. Uh, And that's really sad. After that, uh, Herod dies, thankfully, and then his son takes over, who is equally as bad uh, as as Herod. Uh, But the angel appears to Joseph and says, hey, you guys can go back, but don't go back to Bethlehem. So when they go back to Israel, they go into Nazareth, which is a town that they, Mary and Joseph were living in whenever they got engaged and she became pregnant with Jesus and all that, remember? And then they went to Bethlehem and that was where Jesus was actually born. So, so they go back to Nazareth and that's where this, uh, these verses end in the section that we're talking about tonight. But in this section, there are three times that Matthew specifically quotes the Old Testament. And I want us to look at those because those three times I see as three promises that God has fulfilled in this overall promise of sending a Savior, right? And so I think that there are, there are things that we can learn from these. Uh, and so I want us to, to look at these passages uh, or the, these verses in Matthew. And I want us to talk about the overall context of them in the Old Testament and then try and draw and figure out what Matthew is saying to his audience and then by way of Scripture to us. Does that make sense? Uh, and the reason we have to get that Old Testament context is Matthew, when he was writing, his, his original audience was a Jewish audience. And so whenever he would reference just one verse in the Old Testament, like in one of our passages, he, he quotes uh, just a verse out of Jeremiah. His original audience would have known the overall passage he was talking about. Even though he said one verse, they would have understood the whole story because they were familiar with it and they studied it and all that sort of deal. Sorry, dinner is like just sitting right there. Anyway, um, I don't know why I say things like that. Anyway, uh, so, but for us, we've got to go back to that story and we've got to figure out that context so that we can help, so we can pull out the meaning of that. So all of that to say, let's look at uh, Matthew 2, 15. Hopefully it'll be on the screens for those who weren't brave enough to get up and get Bibles from the windows. This is the whole one-handed thing. All right, 15. So this is right after... Uh, they went to Egypt. Uh, 
and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. So that those last few words there uh, that are in quotes, out of Egypt I called my son. That's a direct quote from an Old Testament passage. Now if you have a reference Bible, quick like, this is how to use a reference Bible. If you have a reference Bible and you don't know, there's like a letter that's like at the very beginning uh, b- before the out, or it might be somewhere in the middle there. If you, there's like a column in the middle of your Bible or at the bottom, and you, f- you find that uh, letter, and it'll tell you like, hey, that is a reference to this other verse in the Old Testament. So there you go. Now you know how to use a reference Bible. Uh, but it's a reference to Hosea 11.1. 1. We won't go there. Uh, and it's, it's not going to be on the screen or anything, but Hosea 11.1 1 is this verse. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So what's the context here? What's Hosea, the prophet in the Old Testament, talking about? And what is Matthew trying to tell his readers and us? The context here in Hosea, Hosea is, is recalling the story of the Exodus. A lot of you guys know what that means. When I say the word Exodus, you know what that means. And some of you don't, uh, and that's okay. Uh, but in the in the in the Old Testament, way back, um, they were in uh, exile in Egypt, right? So here's that connection to Egypt we just saw in Matthew. So they were in exile in Egypt, and God had promised to deliver them. And he sends this guy Moses to come and do that. Uh, and, and by way of Moses, there are ten plagues that are, that are uh, performed, I guess is the word there. Anyway, so there are ten plagues that happen, and the last one being what's called the Passover, right? And that's it's very significant uh, for uh, a foreshadowing of what's to come in Christ, this sacrificial lamb and the blood covering uh, for the, the angel of death to pass over and not take the firstborn sons of, of the Israel, uh, the Jewish families. Sorry, Mike is throwing me off, having to like handle it instead. Um, it's an excuse, I guess. But um, So the, the Passover, but it all, all comes to a climax. All these, these ten plagues come to a climax. God is rescuing his people out of this exile at the, uh, at the Red Sea. Right, so they show up at this water. This is all these people, Jewish people. They run up to this water. They run away from uh, the Egyptian army and Pharaoh, and they come to this water and go, "Oh no, what do we do?" Right, and a lot of you guys, even if you haven't been in church, you probably know this story. Um, Moses, you know, sticks a staff in the water and it parts, and they get to walk across on dry land. And then, as the Egyptian army behind them, it ends up collapsing in and, and kills them. And at that point, God had had successfully and fully rescued His people, like He had promised through these miraculous events. So that's what, that's what Matthew's referencing is this, is this deliverance out of exile, this deliverance from Egypt. So with that Old Testament context, what does this mean in Matthew? What is, what is Matthew trying to paint here? It is not... Jesus and his family going to Egypt and then coming back is not just simply them running away from a crazy king. Okay, like there's some significance here. (laughs) The significance is, Mike's just don't like me tonight. That's the significance, I guess. Uh, The significance is that Jesus is bringing a new exodus. He is bringing a new deliverance, a new salvation to the people. That's the picture that Matthew is beginning to paint here, that God has, has fulfilled his promise that he had, had given 3,000 years before today, that he was sending a Messiah, that he was bringing rescue. And, this, and Jesus coming out of Egypt to come back into Israel was this new exodus. So in the Old Testament, God had brought 
miraculous deliverance from Egypt. And then in this, by Jesus, by way of coming from Egypt, once again has brought miraculous deliverance, salvation from Egypt. Isn't that kind of cool, the parallels there? Yeah, maybe. Hello, hello, slow away. Um, so let's go to verses 17 and 18. Still in Matthew chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. So we go on uh, further in the story, and this is right after Herod. Right after Herod has all the, all the baby boys, two years and younger, killed. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children, she refused to be comforted because they are no more. Initially, you're thinking, what, is, what does that have to do with anything? Why, how is that a promise fulfilled? That's just really sad, right? You would, you would be right. That is, uh, that is really sad. Let's, uh, the, the Old Testament context here. Matthew's referencing a story in Jeremiah where once again, the people of Israel are being exiled. Instead of them being rescued out of exile, this is a reference to a story of them being pulled into exile, okay? So the Babylonian empire invaded the city of Jerusalem and wiped it out, destroyed Jerusalem. Took all the people in the city of Jerusalem to to this place, separated them, and then took them all back into Babylon, but in different places. And so these people in the Old Testament had been separated from their family and friends and taken away into slavery to possibly never, ever see their family and friends ever again. Imagine your home being completely demolished and you being taken away from your family and friends to never, ever, ever see them again. That's terrible stuff, right? That's incredible. This is the picture that Matthew is painting, the, the equivalence of these people being torn away from each other and separated and taken into slavery. And then what's happened in Bethlehem, these, boy, these baby boys being taken away and separated from their families. That's, the, that's, how, that's how crazy and incredibly terrible this, this situation is right here. But I want us to go uh, to Jeremiah, and I want you to actually turn there do this real quick. Jeremiah 31. And we just read uh, 15 and we're, and we're going to, well, the 15 is the direct quote that Matthew gives. But I want us to read 16 and 17. Again, it's going to be on the, uh, the screens there. Yep. Here we go. Thus says the Lord, keep your voice from weeping. In your eyes from tears, for there is a reward for your work, declares the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope for your future, declares the Lord, and your children shall come back to their own country. There's something significant there. What Matthew is, what what Jeremiah is saying is, yes, what has happened is terrible. The people of Israel being taken into exile, taken into slavery, and separated from one another is terrible. But what the Lord is saying through Jeremiah is that there is hope and rescue to come. 
God is promising to bring rescue. And the, and the, the parallel there that Matthew is drawing is, yes, in Bethlehem, things were awful. It's, it's as bad as bad gets. But in, amidst all of that death and all of that bad, there is life and there is hope coming forth. And that life and that hope was Jesus. And so what Matthew was telling his audience, that's what he's telling us, is that when things are bad, when things are terrible, when they're as bad as they can get, because of Jesus, there is still hope and there is still joy, right? And so the, the, the promise fulfilled there is that God is once again delivering and bringing salvation. And what Jesus has done whenever he shows up on the scene is Jesus has ended hopeless mourning, Right, mourning and hopelessness. Because of Jesus, we have hope. We, can st- we still mourn the loss of people and physical death, but because of salvation, we no longer have to mourn those who have relationship with Jesus and we know that they're gonna be in heaven with him. So Jesus has come and he has ended hopeless mourning for those who are in relationship with him. Isn't that cool? I think that's something worth celebrating. And you guys are so quiet. You were like talking like crazy earlier. Uh, laughing at my jokes and stuff. It was awesome. And now you're all like really quiet and stuff. What's that about? Anyway, so the third thing. So Matthew's talking about Jesus bringing a new exodus, a new deliverance and salvation. He's, Matthew's uh, painting this picture of hope and joy amidst all of the death and bad. God has this habit. God has this really cool habit of taking all the bad stuff, all the crap and all the crazy and, make, and giving it purpose and giving it promise. All the junior hires are laughing because I said the word crap back there. That's awesome. Um, you, know that, you know they're the junior hires in the room, or at least parents of the junior hires, because uh, the junior hires are like, Ooh, and the parents are like, can't believe you said the C word, man. I've been telling them not to for like two weeks, right? Uh, anyway, but God has this habit of taking all of the bad and all of the terrible and giving it purpose and promise because we mess it all up because of our sin We just mess it all up, but God comes in and rescues and redeems and rescues and redeems. That's the story of the Old Testament over and over and over again. That's our story. That's that's the whole that's whole existence. As we mess it up and God comes in and redeems and restores and rescues. So moving on. The last thing I want to look at uh, is verse uh, 23 here. And 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 what I want us I'm gonna just give you uh, the like point here right up front. What, what we're about to look at is that Matthew is showing us that Jesus loves his fiercest enemies. So in, the, in these sections that we've looked at, Jesus brings a new exodus. He brings deliverance and salvation. He ends hopeless mourning, and he loves his fiercest enemies. So here we are in 23. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, that was spoken by the prophets, uh, excuse me, that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. Now, for those who have reference Bibles, if you're noticing that there is no like letter there to tell you that it's a reference of somewhere else, that's because it's not a reference to anywhere else. So you're like, wait, Matthew just said that the prophets said this. What does that mean? There is no, there is no direct quote of this anywhere uh, in the Old Testament, there actually no prophet ever talked about a city called Nazareth, especially 
around the Messiah. And so what is Matthew trying to get at here? He's, he's used two credible sources, right? He's used uh, direct quotes from, from prophets and said that they're from the prophets. And then this third time he says, hey, this is from the prophets, but then it's not from the prophets. What's he doing here? Well, there's this, let's, let's go about it this way. Nazareth in Jesus' time was not a very well-respected place. Like to be from Nazareth was not, if you were, if you were from Nazareth, you usually wouldn't announce that. Like it's the, it's the lowest, it was, it was the lowest socioeconomical place there was. Like everyone else looked at Nazarenes as like the lesser, the lower, like the second class, maybe even third class citizens. All right, and so this, this place that Jesus is from is a terrible place. That's what we find out as you read through Matthew, that it was, it was, not, it was not good to be from there. You were actually despised and scorned and mocked if you were from Nazareth. We see in John a story of a guy named Nathaniel. When he hears of Jesus and hears that Jesus is from Nazareth, he actually, his first response actually is, can anything good come from Nazareth? I mean, like, that's his legitimate response because they just all dismiss this town called Nazareth because it was a low, low-income, terrible ghetto of a place that nobody would want to be from. In every detail, God is showing that it's him at work, right? Why, why would the king of the universe decide to come to the world to rescue us as a baby in a manger and live in the worst place on the planet. Because only the king of the universe could start there and end up the king of the universe and rescue all of us. Only the king of the universe could start in the worst place as the, as the weakest being on the planet and end up being the king of the universe and rescue us. Back to, that was, that was actually not in my notes, that was just JJ on the soapbox there for a second, got excited about it, uh, and I'm okay with it. But, uh, the prophets over, uh, over a whole bunch of places talk about the Messiah being despised. One, uh, one such verse, you don't have to turn there, it's going to be on the screen, Isaiah 53. Isaiah talking about the Messiah, he says, He was despised and rejected by men, and, he, uh, and we didn't value him. And so the fulfilling of the prophecy that Matthew's talking about here is this idea that the Messiah, this a sign of the Messiah is that he was going to be rejected by the world. He was going to be rejected by us. And so, and so Matthew, uh, painting this incredible picture uh, of all of these things, ends, ends this, this chapter by showing you a sign, even if, if you just needed more proof that Jesus is who he says he is, this is more proof that the prophets of old said that the Messiah would actually be rejected and despised by the world. And so this being from Nazareth to, to the original audience of Matthew, they would understand, oh, Nazareth was a terrible place. People there from there are despised. You know, in most stories, there's a good guy and there's a bad guy. In a lot of these stories also, uh, like when we're, we're reading stories, uh, or for me, if I'm listening to like audiobooks of stories, or if you're like watching TV and, and movies and stuff, uh, there's, there's always a good guy and there's always a bad guy, right? And a lot of times, hopefully most of the time, uh, you, we like to identify with the good guy, don't we? Right? We want to be the good guy. I don't, I don't want you to raise your hand if you uh, aspire to be a bad guy, because 
That's just not cool. But like some of these stories, right? Goliath and David, who do you identify with in that story? Like you want to be David. You want to be the kid that ends up taking down the big old giant that's trying to like wreck up the place, right? Um, Cain and Abel, hopefully you don't aspire to be a murderer. That's crazy, right? Pharaoh and Moses. Yeah, Pharaoh was a ruler uh, of like this cool land and stuff, but he ended up dying and Moses like led people to rescue and got to do some cool miracles and stuff. We, we would identify with Moses in that story. Superman, Lex Luthor, right? We all want to be Superman, though Lex Luthor was rich and really smart. Just throwing that out there. Anyway, <clears throat> likewise, Matthew chapter 2, there are good guys and there are bad guys. Right? In this story, the good guys, the wise men, Mary, Joseph, Jesus, right? Um, <laughs> the bad guys, King Herod. There, there's some of the, the Jewish religious leaders uh, sprinkled in there, but, but Herod is, is the main bad guy in this story. Now, who do, we, who, do we, who do we, who do you identify with in this story? If we're just gut level honest, if you actually take, if I actually take and look at my heart and myself and go, who do I most identify with in this story? We most identify with King Herod. Because like King Herod, we're all afraid that this king, Jesus, is going to come and wreck up our kingdom. He's going he's to ruin the things that are, he's going to invade our kingdom and take away our desires and our plans and change our lives. We're, we're, all, we're all afraid of Jesus to some level. If you, if you honestly just take a sock at your life and you go, who do, you most, who do I most identify with? It's going to be Herod because the reality is, in our minds, in our hearts, we have, re- all, we have all rejected Jesus at some point. We've all rejected Jesus. This uh, is, is the core of what it means to be a sinner. But it's sinners for whom Jesus came to save. See, Matthew... Chapter 2, and even before that, the, the Christmas story is not, is not something that just happened 2,000 years ago. And it's not just a story, what we're talking about right here, is not just some stories of stuff that was talked about 3,000 years ago. This is actually a story about you and about me. We are enslaved to sin and need of deliverance, in need of, of a new exodus, in need of salvation. We all find ourselves in terrible situations of mourning and crazy, and we need hope and we need joy to get us through. So this story is about you, it's about me. Jesus has come to love his fiercest enemies, and we, in our hearts, are his fiercest enemies. But he comes to rescue us, and to save us, to seek us and find us. He's come to love us in all our rebellion, though we reject him. Christ has come. Uh, he, is, uh, he has given his life for us. He has shed his blood as a perfect sacrifice. He has risen from the grave to bring eternal life to whoever will believe in him. And this isn't based on anything that we do, any works that we do, but it's based on the work that he did on the cross. This is the gospel that brings real Christmas hope and real Christmas joy. This 
is the gospel that comes to bring salvation and to pull us out of hopelessness. And so the perspective here of this Christmas story is this fulfillment of these promises of God who works in every little detail, even the, the detail of Jesus having to go to a foreign country and come back. Like even, the, even a, a detail as seemingly meaningless as that is significant whenever God is in the details and God is working all this to redeem us and to rescue us. I want everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes. There are three... There are three challenges that I see coming out of this. There's some in the room, you're still an enemy of Jesus. You're still lost. You're not in relationship with him. So for you, you've come to a point that you've heard this gospel that Jesus has come to rescue you, to save you. And all you have to do is put your faith and trust and belief in him and to follow him, to confess your sins and to live for him. That's all you have to do. And he gives you this gift of salvation, this eternal life with him. You get this salvation and you get this uh, joy and hope that comes even in the bad times. And so in just a second, the band's gonna play. And for those of you who are in that place, and you're not in relationship with Jesus, you're not a Christian, there are adult leaders around the room, or maybe you came with a Christian friend, now is your time to go and find those people. You can pull them out of the room so you can hear while we're singing, it doesn't matter what's going on this stage. The most important thing for you to do is go and receive salvation from Jesus. Go find an adult leader or a Christian friend to help you figure out what that means and to figure out the details of that. The second thing I see here is that some of us, we have, we have that relationship with Jesus. We have... Uh, you, you have been rescued, but you're not living in the hope and the joy that comes from Jesus because your faith is neutral. You, you're in neutral and you're coasting. You receive salvation and you're lazy. You're a lazy Christian. I find myself there way more often than I would care to admit. And so for you tonight, it's time for you to put the thing in drive and chase after Jesus and to dive further into your relationship with him. Whatever you need to do in a second, you need, you need to, now's the time to do it. Again, it doesn't matter what's happening on this stage. You need to find an adult leader or a friend or keep your face on the carpet. Whatever it is, you need, to, you need to get things right with Jesus and continue to push forward in your faith. For the rest, of, the rest of you in the room, the last thing is things, your faith is in drive and you're moving forward. Things aren't perfect. They're not perfect, but they're moving forward. And you love Jesus and you're living in this hope and this joy. And while we're singing, while the band's playing, my challenge to you is to worship like you mean it. Not just stand there staring at a wall or staring at a screen of words, but to worship God like you mean it and to live in the joy and the excitement that comes from Jesus coming as a baby, living as a man and dying on a cross and rescuing us. I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and you move as the spirit is calling you to move. Holy Spirit, please move in this place. Change lives Bring our hearts to you. Chase us and rescue us. Thank you so much for sending Jesus.